Welcome to the Future Smart Parent Podcast, a place where my mom explores how to help us kids develop a new set of skills we need to face the future with confidence. I'm Jude Filston, an introverted mom trying my best to raise kids who are happy and confident, kids who embrace all that makes them unique while preparing them for an exciting future that really looks nothing like the world we grew up in. I believe there's a whole set of skills that our kids aren't being taught. These skills will be critical for them to develop in order to thrive in the future. It's up to us as parents to help them develop these skills. The Future Smart Parent podcast provides resources for parents and kids who want to be ready for all the ways in which the future is going to be different from today. We will explore this future together, bringing insights from top futurists, resources from smart people working on making our lives better, and most importantly, stories of parents who are parenting a little differently, yet very much intentionally for a changing world. So join me as we explore how we can be future smart parents raising future smart kids. Hello and welcome to episode 6 of the Future Smart Parent podcast. So in the last few months I've been quite aware of seeing a whole heap of worried parents of kids who left school recently who seem to be a little stuck Parents who are concerned that the kids just don't know what to do with themselves and who aren't jumping into life after school as they thought they would. So I know COVID has dealt a tough blow to the school leavers, but I do also think that it's not just COVID that is at play here. So in today's episode, I invited Graham Codrington back to chat with us about how schools can best prepare learners for their journey after school. What I love about my conversations with Graham is how he often helps us reframe the way that we think about things, helping us see things from different perspectives, and more often than not, just gives us a new way of thinking that pushes our boundaries and forces us to think a little bit bigger. It's like he gives us the things to think about before we can actually launch into doing the stuff that he talks about. Graham is a futurist, an expert on the future of work, and co-founder of Tomorrow Today Global. He is an international speaker, and his breadth of knowledge and expertise makes him highly relevant and essential in today's rapidly evolving world. Graham has his own podcast called The Future of Work with Graham Codrington, so do feel free to take a listen to that. I'll drop the link to that in the show notes. And perhaps most importantly, he is a dad to three daughters, a really good guy who just happens to be ridiculously clever and good at his job. Morning, Graham. It's good to have you back on the Future Smart Parent podcast. I saw someone asking you this question on your social media platform recently, and I just knew that uh, there are a whole lot of us parents and teachers and schools that would love to hear your thoughts on this. So the question the question is, how can schools best prepare learners for their journey after school? It's a big question. It's a huge question. How long have we got? Uh, <laughs> we're Far trying enough. to keep... Uh, so there's huge answers to that question. Let, let's, like I normally do, uh, Jude, let, let me start with like a, a big sort of framework answer and then you'll keep bringing me back to, okay, so what can we do about it? Because the big framework answer is that most schools at the moment are focused on helping the learners at the school to get that certificate, that school leaving certificate, 
We call it the matric certificate in South Africa. It's O levels or A levels in the UK. It's a school leavers certificate. And for many uh, parents and schools, the purpose of that certificate is to get you access to tertiary study, so university or college or whatever. And so basically everything works backwards from what the university entrance requirements are. And you've got to spend at least the last three years of your, your high school, but actually quite a lot of the time before then, preparing to get this entry certificate to the universities. Only when the universities change what they are doing will schools actually be able to change what they are doing. So I know this feels like a strange place to start, but we've got to understand what's going on with universities before we can deal with what's happening at schools. Because over the last few years, let me give you a list of companies, Jude. If I say companies like Ernst & Young, Apple, General Electric, Microsoft, um, Siemens, uh, and, and the list goes on and on and on. All of these companies have one thing in common. They have stopped requiring university qualifications before mm-hmm. you can apply. They used to all be graduates only. Of course, there are some parts of those organizations. So you take uh, Ernst & Young, for example. If you want to become an auditor, you have to be a chartered accountant. And if you want to be a chartered accountant, you have to have a Bachelor of Commerce degree. So there are some careers that still require a degree. But a lot of these firms are saying, we don't need graduates to do a lot of the roles that in the past we reserved for graduates. And this is causing chaos at the universities because, of course, if you don't have to go to university or if you don't have to get a particular degree at a university, well, then the university system is now under pressure. And you add to that the massive open online courses that now allow people to go to university for free. You don't get a certificate, but you get the knowledge. And then if a company says, well, yeah, you can just show us your proof of online learning or you can show us just your proof of ability and you get a job, the whole university system shifts. And I know there's a long answer, but when the university system shifts, the school system will be able to shift. For now, we've got to answer this question, realizing that a lot of the school system, the last three years at least, are focused on that metric certificate. And Jude, it, uh, let me throw this back at you. Uh, as a parent whose, whose children are, are younger but heading towards, uh, to, towards that inner school, how does it make you feel if you as a parent know that one or two of the choices you might be making might jeopardize the matric certificate that your kids could get? Does that like fill you with fear or do you not care at all? To be honest, I I don't want to say I don't care at all, but for me, the matric certificate is not that important. I don't believe that my kids will be going to university like we know university at the moment. So for us, it's more important that we're instilling a love for learning or teaching them how to learn so that when they get to 16, 17, 18, 25, that they still want to learn every single day. So that's me. Um, but I don't think that that is the general the general thinking for now. Um, I think that's because I've had access to the team at Tomorrow Today, to be honest. 
And I mean, that's, that's part of what the Future Smart Parent podcast is about, is to help people get the same level of confidence that you have that we can do different things with our kids at a younger age. We don't have to lock them in at age 8, 9, 10 to a schooling system that takes them through a decade of preparation for a piece of paper. And you don't have to lock them in at age 13, 14 um, or so into subject choices that then limits what their options are when they either choose university or not uh, later. So, you know, that, that's why this question, uh, it comes up. Uh, and I started there, you know, you, you can answer the question in a different way. How can schools best prepare learners for their journey after school? Um, we'll, we'll come to some practical things that teachers and parents can do in a second. But I think you've got to start the conversation by pointing out to both parents and teachers that we've, we are fixated on the wrong end point. And we've got to get more comfortable about saying our children have got a lot, a lot more options than any children have ever had. And they don't have to get that school leavers certificate uh, as the be all and end all. And we're not just talking about kids who can't get it because they're not academically gifted. Uh, I mean, I'm talking about saying even if your kid could get a whole handful of distinctions, Maybe that shouldn't be the focus. Maybe that sh- maybe you shouldn't care about that. Maybe that's not what school is for. Exactly. So I get that the the certificate is is important to a lot of people, and to change that um, that priority that people are putting at it is going to take is going to take some time, and and parents will need to see how it works. I guess for the confidence to come through. Um, but I agree with you that. Parents and schools are putting far too much priority on that certificate and they're almost forgetting about or maybe they don't have enough time to focus on the other things that are so important. The ability to engage in an interview, for goodness sakes, like some of these kids leave school and they just they don't know how to send an email. And for me, that is the big concern or they don't have the confidence to deal with with people and and that's a concern they might have aced the system at school but that system they're not going to you know they're going to need different skills for can i say the real world yeah and you, let, let's tell a story it, it's a story that basically gets told every year in south africa um for the last 15 years and i'm sure it's told elsewhere around the world you get a student who gets you know nine ten distinctions in matric, they then apply to medical school to get into medical school, and they are told, "No, you can't come to medical school," uh, because in the past, when we were at school, however old you are, um, you know, it was the clever kids went to become doctors, right? I mean, it was kind of that was the qualification. Um, which is why we've got a whole lot of people who are good at being doctors and not good at being people or not good at, you know, I'd much rather have a nurse come and tell me what's wrong with me than some of the doctors I've engaged with at hospitals because they, um, uh, you know, they've got borderline personality problems. Yeah. Uh, brilliant at the work they do. Uh, uh, perfectly like, 
caricatured in the in the TV series House, of course, you know. Yes. Brilliant, brilliant doctor, like brain the size of a small planet, can't interact with other human beings. And what medical schools started to do a few years ago is to realize that they that they actually had made a mistake. That being a doctor is more about being is not just about being clever. Yes, there is a level level of cleverness you need to to be a doctor, but it's more than that. Um, and in order to change that, the medical schools, most around the world, don't rely on your school leavers certificate. They do interviews. They do further tests and exams that don't just test your intellect, but test your character, your personality, um, and, and your EQ, uh, and so on. And, you know, I think that that's a great example of saying it's not merely about focusing on getting that academic certificate and then that's all you need for success in life. And in fact, research shows you that the only thing that academic success at school predicts, the only thing that, that you can get a statistical um, causation for is first-year university results. In other words, if you did well at school, you will do well at first-year university. Beyond that, you cannot say. You might have done very badly at school, and then you get a master's degree later. You might have done brilliantly at school, and you fail second year. Um, because school doesn't predict. Academic results at school do not predict your success in life. Uh, you know, some people might even say there's an inverse correlation there. So, sorry, Jude, long introduction. Let's get back to your question. How can schools best prepare learners for their journey after school? From your perspective, uh, as a parent looking at the system, you, you gave one example uh, uh, that mm, it doesn't necessarily help kids to handle an interview or to handle themselves in a, you know, in a, environment where they're looking for work uh, from your perspective your 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 kids are sort of uh mid primary school early early primary school what are some of the things you're concerned about that you think are sort of missing in the curriculum at school from what you've seen so for me it's uh certainly learning to deal with different people um, and not just the teamwork, you know, um, that we bundle our kids into. It's it's learning about difference and how we can work with each other. Um, and get the but Jude, how can we how can we teach difference when everybody's in a school uniform and they all have to um, uh, respond when the bell rings and move to exactly the next class? whether they are ready for it or not. And, and when we put every, when we have to, I mean, Jude, this is the system. I don't know what you're thinking is possible, but the system is that you progress through each subject at a set pace based on the year in which you were born. Come on, Jude, you're being unrealistic here, aren't you? Well, my, that's why, to be honest, my kids aren't in the system. But um, <laughs> but I'm l lucky enough to have taken that decision. This, I agree. This this yeah, is the biggest the question. Issue, How do we help the mainstream schools deal with this? I mean, e even you know, kids aren't allowed to play with older kids on the playground. Why? 
where does where do you see that anywhere else in the world? What I can't work with you now because you're a few years older than me. Mm. Um, what my kids gain from interacting with older kids, be it four years older or eight years older, is immense. Uh, they learn lessons from the older kids far better lessons than what I can teach them. Um, so, Jude, here's an here's an interesting real life example. Um, in New Zealand, uh, because parents were fairly, well, not only parents, people were concerned about injuries uh, during rugby. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it's New Zealand. Everybody plays rugby, girls included, uh, at primary school. Uh, what they did was they decided that the injuries come about because you've got massive kids and small kids. You know, they, I mean, yeah. that, that shouldn't have been a surprise to anybody. And you probably didn't need a scientific study to tell you the small kids get injured and the big kids don't. So, you know what they did? They simply broke teams up based on the size of the kids. So your height and your weight, because different kids, especially at around age 10, 11, 12, heading into puberty, 14, 15, 16, you can have a growth spurt, you can, you know, your, your genetics determines things. And at that age, 10 kgs on a child makes massive difference to the ability and the physicality of that child. So you might have a team of kids who have got like an age range of maybe three or four years, but they all are matched with each other. So now you get a better matching of ability and there are other reasons, but that also might be a reason that New Zealand punches above their weight in sport because they've understood something about how to develop sport in kids. You put people into classes and groups based on their stage, their ability, uh, and where they are, not just on their age. Now, imagine we then put that into an environment uh, around the academic side of things as well. So because a child, uh, we create a system where a child can progress at their pace. People might be thinking, well, how on earth is that possible? COVID has given us a beautiful picture of what's possible. We need to get a lot more subjects being taught using technology. So you, you, you've got Khan Academy, you've got online courses, you've got Udemy and Coursera and school districts and countries should be sitting down and saying, let's take the curriculum, chunk it up into 10, 15 minute bits, record the best teacher in the country who is the best at teaching just that bit of the curriculum. Let's put it up online. Yes, both you and I, Jude, live in South Africa, so we understand we have to have conversations around access, the cost of data, the cost of devices. But if we decide that this is the way it can be done, we can do it. It's not difficult to get Wi-Fi into even the poorest areas in the world to to put a cheap tablet or a laptop in, in into the hands of every child on the planet. Honestly, I, I'm not just saying that. The, the costing has been done. There are people working on making this happen, and, and we can accelerate this. So you, what you then do is you say to the kids, go home. Your homework is not homework, which is just repeating what you learned in your class. Your homework is to prepare for tomorrow's lesson, and you prepare for tomorrow's lesson by watching this 15-minute video. And then tomorrow when you get to class, we will 
engage with it. We will do exercises that ensure you've understood it. Those who have understood it can move ahead. Those who haven't understood it, the teacher's there to help you. Maybe the teacher gets the kids who've moved ahead to help the kids who's struggling. Because when you teach somebody something, you learn it. And you can be teaching. Kids at at 9 and 10 years old can be teaching each other. And you can be learning all sorts of skills in that process. So suddenly, your classroom starts to look like what you and I might remember from university, Jude, as being a tutorial room. Go and do the reading. Go and do the work. Get it. Get the, the data in your head. Why do we have to have a teacher standing? In, why do we have to, in fact, have 10,000 math teachers all custom designing, handcrafting the same lesson for tomorrow morning? Yeah. One of them must be the best at it. Record them. Give it to the kids in advance. And then the, the, the teachers in the classroom are there to ensure that the learning has happened, to maybe give application to the learning so people know why they had to learn about quadratic equations because the teacher is giving them real-life examples of what it looks like and helping kids to progress at whatever speed they progress at and actually enjoy doing it. So, honestly, that sounds like it's a huge suggestion. I don't think it is. I I think genuinely that is the future of school. I think it feels like a huge suggestion. If I was a teacher, I would be trembling in my boots because where do you even start? You feel, you must feel like you're up against such a massive system. I agree with you. That is how we need to start. And I think about, so what comes to my mind immediately is coding classes because coding classes are new to the system. Well, newish to the system. Um, we should be able to take this format and put it in. So maybe you're not starting with your English lessons or your maths Mm. lessons, but you're starting with something that is more new, that it's easier to adapt. Because let's also face it, teachers don't just have to deal with the kids and the system. They also have to deal with the parents. And having to get the parents on board as well, it's tough. There's half of us that see this and half of us that think it would be crazy. Yeah. So I think there are ways to do it almost to transition into this way of, of teaching or education for schools. So Jude, this brings us to one of the themes that is in both of our podcasts, and that is the theme of experimentation. And too many people think of experimentation as the big things, you know, let's experiment with changing the maths curriculum for the whole country. No, no, that's not an experiment. That's an educational business project that requires careful consideration and massive rollout infrastructure. An experiment, in fact, you know, so many people say think big. We actually say think small. Have these big framework ideas and then work out the smallest thing you can experiment on that won't break anything if it doesn't work, that that's not going to blow anything up, that hopefully won't even cost you anything. So here's what a teacher can do. Don't change your whole curriculum, but I, I slightly disagree with you, Jude. I think this can be done with any subject, and I actually think maths is one of the best subjects to do it for. Mm-hmm. Take a section of the curriculum. 
So if you're an English teacher, take one of the set workbooks. If you are a maths teacher, take one of the sections uh, that's coming up in the curriculum. If you're a biology or science or history or geography teacher, take one of the topics that's coming up. Look for videos. So look for a little video course. Khan Academy is a great place to go to start with, but, but look around. If one doesn't exist... Maybe contact a few of your friends. You will be part of a group of teachers who teach your subject. Contact a few of them. Get together on a Saturday afternoon and record it for yourself. Okay, so that's a little bit more work. But honestly, I'm sure that most of these videos are available anyway. And then do this thing that we've said for three weeks where you say to the kids, right, the next three weeks we're having an experiment. Send a letter to the parents. Explain what it is that you're trying to do. And the idea is very simply this. I am going to give you videos to watch in advance, and they are required. It's your homework, but it's homework in advance. And then when you get to the class, we're doing activities, we're doing interaction, we're engaging with the content. Most teachers, if you're a good teacher, you will love this idea because you will love the fact that you can actually be more creative, have more fun with the content in the class, and you're no longer just a data dumping machine. If if you think that data dumping is your job as a teacher, you're a bad teacher and should leave the profession. I do not know any teachers who believe that. And they're not in the profession to be a data dumper. They're in the profession to help kids fall in love with the subject that they're in love with. They're, they're there to give these things. So do that. And then parents support it when it happens. Or if you are a parent listening to this, go to the school and make this suggestion. Get other parents together, get them to agree that this is a good thing to do and support the teacher in getting it done. If you're a parent who's pretty good at creating videos or you've got a, a good iPhone, smartphone, Say to the teacher, I'll come to the school and record you. You know, we'll do it together in an afternoon. Give the teacher support and try it. You try it in one subject here, one subject there, one bit of the curriculum, one bit of the curriculum there. And you know what? Three or four years time, you've done an entire term. Schools don't move quickly. Uh, Maybe that's right. Maybe that's wrong. Uh, but, you know, we've got to start somewhere and you don't have to wait for the government education department to give you permission to do this stuff. And it's it boils down to a mindset change. It's, it's requiring some grace from the parents, from the teachers, from the kids. But it's certainly worth trying. The biggest experiment is if we don't try doing these things, these, these new things with the kids and, and in schools. Absolutely. My, the school that my daughters uh, went to, and unfortunately, uh, I am in love with this, the school. And so if people hear me talk about education, uh, they will hear me talk about the school and they probably roll their eyes because their other schools are available. But anyway, I am in love with uh, St. Mary's School for Girls in Johannesburg. And one of the things they did is they said, right, your last three years of school in South Africa, that's grades 10, 11, and 12, those are pretty much focused on the, you know, getting that matric certificate and so on. There are other things that we can do. But but the, the first two years of high school, grades eight and nine, we as long as we are basically getting the curriculum across and as long as we are helping children to choose their subjects that they'll use. For those of you from the UK and, and Europe, this is 
you, it's not quite the equivalent, but think of it as sort of O levels and A levels. So you do more subjects. You've then got to choose some specialized or focused subjects for, for A level. So you've got to give kids a good grounding across a range of subjects. As long as we basically do that, we, we've actually got more flexibility than the curriculum suggests. And what they did was they combined, I, I think I'm getting this right, but they combined history, geography, business science or, or accounting, and mm. English into a single subject. Now, it's not quite as simple as, as, as I'm simplifying at this to, to help you understand it, but the concept was you, you take a few subjects and you combine them together, and then you turn that subject into a project-based teaching. So, for example, you might do a tourism-based project where you say to the students, right, you've got to develop a website for a local attraction. Um, and what you've then got to do is you've got to get historical information. So it has to be a, a historical attraction. Why does this ex uh, attraction exist? It's a, it's a statue. It's a museum. What is it commemorating? Give us a little bit of the historical background. Then you've got to do a business science. So you've got to do the accounting stuff. Um, if, if a thousand people a day come and the costs involved in running the attraction are X, then what does the entry ticket have to be? Blah, blah, blah. Um, you might do a geography part of it. So where is this attraction based? And what does that mean in terms of the weather and the, 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 the rainfall and so on? And then you've got to build a website. Right? Yeah. So it's a tourism website that puts all of that up. So now you're doing the IT course and the coding. Those teachers can all get together. It's a single sub, it's a single project. You then get the, the kids to do it in teams. So they're learning teamwork, communication. They can do a, a video on it later that, that is, is part of marketing and advertising. So it can be part of the art class. You know, can you imagine? It's a single project that five different teachers can mark the, the project results. The five different teachers go and look at the, the website, the history teachers looking at the history stuff, the English teachers looking at the use of language, etc., etc. Do you know how much the kids love that stuff? It, it's exciting. They're doing the learning that has to be done. Yes, does it take more time to set this up as a teacher? Yes. Uh, is, it, is it tougher to do than just delivering classes? Yes, it is. There's a lot of hard work to do in getting it set up. But if you, if you put a team of teachers, give them responsibility for uh, experimentation and innovating education, my word, you get results. So there are examples of schools who are doing this stuff at small levels, at big levels. We've given you ideas of how you as a teacher or a parent can just start with small experiments. The answer to the question, what should schools be doing to, to prepare kids? I, we probably have to come back to this question two or three times with different answers, Jude. But the answer that we're both giving today is that teachers need to experiment more with how they deliver the curriculum to the kids using technology and integrated and systemic thinking to change the way that we deliver the content to the kids so that we unlock both the passion for learning and different approaches to education and use some of the new technologies that are available to assist us in helping our kids not get stuck in a system that only moves at a certain pace and, and that if your kids are stuck in that system and it doesn't work for them, well, tough. We, we've got to provide more flexibility and more engagement. If we do that, 
well, I think we would have improved our schools. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with you, Graham. And to our listeners, I really hope that this conversation has added value. It's given you some food for thought. For me, it's been a really good reminder that the matric certificate is not the be-all and end-all, and also that it's okay to let our kids navigate their learning at their own pace. Uh, You might not have made the same decisions as our family has with your kids to take them out of the system completely, but regardless, as parents who believe that the future of education does need to change, it's it's been a good reminder that it's up to all of us to engage with the system, to nudge it forward so that we can make that change. For those of you that would like to hear more from Graham, you can find him on LinkedIn, YouTube and on Facebook or visit his website at www.grahamcodrington.com. As I mentioned before, he also has his own podcast called The Future of Work with Graham Codrington, but I'll put links to all of those in the show notes for you. You've been listening to the Future Smart Parent podcast. If you haven't already, please do give us a quick review and rating on iTunes. Share it with your friends and family and fellow parents. And don't forget you can follow us on Instagram or or join our Future Smart Parent community on our Facebook group. I look forward to chatting to you in two weeks' time again.